Hey, we have a special announcement uh, this morning that we are so excited to share with you. As many of you know, over the last two years, myself and other pastors, prayer warriors from the church have been heading down to Seattle just to pray, really believing in our hearts that God doesn't just want to do something in Snohomish. He wants to do something more broadly across the region. And we have been praying this prayer, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in the Northwest, even as it's being done in heaven. Now, you should be careful about praying some of them dangerous prayers because oftentimes God will make you part of the answer to the very thing that you're praying for. And over the last six months, we've been hosting what we call these Seattle preview services. We've popped up at Philadelphia Church in Ballard. We've been at the Elks Lodge. We've done stuff at Golden Gardens Beach, you name it. Anywhere that can fit about a thousand people, we've been rallying folks in the region for prayer, for worship, and for glorifying Jesus. Just with this prayer in our heart, God, at the right time and in the right place, would you open a door that no man can close? And I've got good news for you, Pursuit, this morning. God, in fact, has opened a door that no man can close. We are officially under contract on our Seattle property, two blocks from the University of Washington. Awesome. Come on now, just by a show of hands, how many of you joined us at our last Seattle preview service here in this property? So some of you are familiar with how it looks, but this is one of the most historic venues in the entire city. It is two blocks from the University of Washington. It is right on frat row. And I'm just foolish enough to believe that God has revival in mind for tens of thousands of college kids all across this region. Come on, we're excited. So you know what it's like to be under contract on a property. There's still a lot of questions to be answered and contracts to figure out, but we got about a 45 day window to close this property. And we're gonna be excited to keep you updated about all the miracles that God's gonna perform over the next number of weeks to help turn this house into our new home. And we'll keep you updated about service times. We're still trying to figure out how to be in two places at once. And so you can go ahead and pray for us. We need all the wisdom from God that we can, but we are just so excited that this is our next step in God's continued faithfulness to this community. And I couldn't be more excited to have your support. So please keep us in your prayers. We'll keep you updated to the best of our ability, but this soon will be the new home of Pursuit Seattle. So thanks for praying. Thanks for your prayers. And then this Friday, this Friday night at 6 p.m., we're doing another worship night down in Seattle. It's really been on our heart to just soak the region in worship, prayer, and intercession prior to the planting of the next campus. And so that's what we're doing. We're rallying folks. You're more than welcome to come out. We sure love to have you. We rented a parking lot, a parking lot, right in the middle of one of the busiest parts of the city. And uh, we're just gonna be rallying some rowdy worshipers. We'll let the chips fall where they may. But anyways, we're excited for our upcoming summer worship night with Pastor Mike and the team. And it's just gonna be incredible. So invite a friend, we'd love to have you out for that event. Hey, this morning I wanna share with you out of the book of 1 Peter, of course, written by the Apostle Peter, 
to Gentile believers all across the Roman Empire. I believe the writings of the Apostle Peter help frame in the moment that we find ourselves in today. In the life cycle of an organization, and I think even more importantly, in the life cycle of a church, there are defining moments that help particularly set the spiritual trajectory of our community. And friend, you are in one of those moments this morning. The Apostle Peter is writing in what will be the final years of his natural life. He is appealing to the churches in the Roman Empire to understand the significance of what God has done on their behalf. And Peter uses this real forensic and emphatic language all throughout his letters. He says things like this, I implore you, I beg you, I urge you, I remind you, stir yourself up, be of one mind, have fervent love, resist the devil. Peter is primarily writing Gentiles who have accepted Jesus and been born again. He is reminding them that this new relationship with Christ, it is stronger than your ethnicity. It transcends your cultural parameters. It is greater than your politics. It is more transformative than your preferences. It appeals to the spirit part of who you are. It places you in the family of God and it endues you with power from on high to carry out the mission of Christ. It's not just that the emperor Nero was putting to death the apostles. The entirety of the Roman government was working overtime to subvert this growing movement of Christ followers. And why did the Romans feel so threatened by this new religious sect called Christianity? because these Christians operated as if there was no other king, no other God, no other ruler, no other power outside the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter is helping these new Christians deal with the hardships of persecution, abandonment, and yes, even disappointment. And here's what I found, friend, disappointment is inevitable but perpetual victimhood is optional. In fact, there was a story of a man who'd been disappointed by people, so he flagged down a taxi in New York City. He told the driver, take me to a place where people will never lie to me, where they won't hurt me, and they'll never disappoint me again. So the taxi driver drove him straight to the cemetery. Friend, to be alive is to deal with hardship. To be alive is to deal with things like difficulty, disappointment, and hurt. For this is what it means to be human. No, salvation doesn't exempt me from hardship. It gives me grace and mercy to endure through hardship. You know, sometimes it feels as if our relationship with God should cause us to never get sick, cause our kids to never act up, cause our bosses to never irritate us, but nothing could be further from the truth. No, the gospel calls us to look up in the middle of our storm in order to receive strength to make it to the other side of our storm. Now watch what Peter says to these believers in the Roman Empire. Starting in 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 5, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says this, You also, you are like living stones, you're being built into a spiritual house. You're being built so that you can be a holy priesthood, 
so that you can offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's interesting to me that Jesus calls the religious leaders tombstones, but Peter calls true believers living stones. Friend, I believe it's your attitude and your confession that is literally the difference between you having life or you having death. And watch what Peter says. He says, you are being built. Have you ever watched the process of something being built? Oh, there are loud noises, sparks flying everywhere. There's disruption in the surrounding area. There is wood that's being cut, rebar that is getting bent, walls that are getting painted, and bricks that are getting placed. And here's what I found. Some Christians want the beauty of a mansion without the mess of hard work. But friend, you don't get one without the other. The bigger the build, the bigger the mess. But when you have the blueprint, it causes you to have grace for the hardships. See, scripture is our blueprint. It paints us a picture of where we are headed. It encourages us to set our hands to the plow and not look back. See, when Jesus warns the crowds about the cost of discipleship, he says things like this. No, don't start building a tower until you are sure that you have counted the cost so you can finish the job. No, don't go to war until you are sure that you are willing to pay the price. Hear me. You know who doesn't have conflict? Dead churches. You know what doesn't have conflict? Dead marriages. You know what never has difficulty? Dead friendships. Do you know why sparks fly? Because we are alive. Friction is a natural byproduct of any living organism. The question is not, will we have conflict? But instead, how will we keep our peace while moving through conflict? Friend, you need to make a decision, like right now. What is your response gonna be when the sharp edge of your stone comes into contact with the sharp edge of somebody else's stone? See, my Bible says that it is iron that sharpens iron. But see, the iron only receives the benefit of sharpening if it remains engaged in the process of development when life gets tough. See, much like a natural house, a spiritual house isn't built overnight. But instead, it requires the participation of people with all kinds of different skills all kinds of different perspectives in order to successfully achieve the finished product. I want you to notice this morning how every rock on this stage has a little bit of a different size. If you were to feel them this morning, they each have a little bit of a different texture, a different color, a different contour. They have different sharp edges in different places, but I look at these stones like I look at this community. God has so sovereignly sent you here on divine assignment. And you, my friend, get to make a decision whether you will be so enamored by the uniqueness of your stone that you refuse to engage in the process of what God is building or begin to recognize that God has sent me here for such a time as this. And in fact, I am a living stone that God is building together. The process of building is loud. 
Sometimes you place one stone on the left and you gotta move it to the right. Sometimes you gotta turn something three or four different ways in order to make it fit. It's like buying furniture at Ikea only to get home and realize it's in 1,400 different places with a little disclaimer on the box that says, some assembly required. Can I tell you, church is the same. We are living stones being built into a holy priesthood. We are folks that God has fit from different generations and different cultures and different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different skill sets, different spiritual gifts. But he has sent us here on assignment with divine purpose to figure out how each piece fits because he is still the carpenter of heaven who is constructing spiritual houses with spiritual people. Friend, we are the living stones, as the apostle Peter says, that God is using by his spirit to form a house where his spirit dwells. I want you to see something this morning, friend. A singular stone doesn't make a house. No, an individual rock doesn't make a foundation. And an individual Christian doesn't make a church. It is when we are built together that we become the spiritual dwelling place for the King of Kings. Fred, you are not the church alone. We are the church together. See, we are stronger together. We are better together. We are being built into a spiritual house and God knew your shape and size when he sent you to this church. Don't become bored in your faith by withholding your involvement, pursuit. It is our time to build again for our future is brighter than our past. And the apostle Peter tells us, what is the purpose of the house? To make room for the priests to offer spiritual sacrifices unto God. Why does the house exist? So people like you and people like me can offer what is reasonable unto the God that we worship. Remember when you was a kid and you used to play house? See friend, we got an entire generation that is playing house using the fake as a substitute for the real. Hear me, porn is not real sex. Social media is not real life. Celebrities are not real role models. Talk shows are not real news. Podcasts are not real church. We are not playing house. We are not playing church. There is simply too much at stake in this region to play around with cheap imitations. And here's what I found. Once you've experienced the genuine, you just simply can't go back to the counterfeit. See, when churches forget the reason for why they exist, they sell people cheap alternatives to make up for the fact that they've lost their appetite for the authentic. The church exists for the giving of spiritual sacrifice unto God. It is not about you. It has never been about you. It will never be about you. It has always been about him. And that, my friend, is simply the best news that there has ever been. When we bought this building, it was nothing more than an old JCPenney shell. It smelled like JCPenney, it looked like JCPenney, it felt like JCPenney. The building hadn't been updated in 20, 30 years. We got in and found out that there was no hot water in the building. 
For 18 months, there was no hot water in this building. We had no additional bathrooms. The only ones we had were those small ones you see that now the kids use that were the original bathrooms for the JCPenney. As the church began to grow, we'd have folks line up in the foyer, 10, 20, 30 deep to try to use our single stall toilets. I remember when we cut the ribbon on the new bathrooms, it felt like revival in Snohomish. <laughs> we was getting ready to design the bathrooms, get them all built up and had a lady approach me from the church. She said, Pastor, I just have one request. I just got one thing I'd like you to add. They had it at my last church and I'd just like to see if you'd consider putting it in the new church. I said, sure, what is it? She said, I, I'd like the bathroom stalls to have heated toilet seats. I said, ma'am, if you just go ahead and use it real quick after the person before you, it'll be a heated toilet seat. See, the problem is, we have made the church the center of our own comfort. It exists to please me. It exists to entertain me. It exists to comfort me. It exists to massage me. It doesn't exist to develop me. And as soon as there's a spark from the building process, I'm out of here, down to the next rodeo, down the street. And friend, I am here to tell you that one of the best things that you can ever feel in this environment is the tension of development. You come in one day and you feel like your disruptions are comforted. You come in another day and you feel like you're comforted comforts are disrupted. That's about the best place that you could ever be as a believer because what you're recognizing is that God in his brilliance has a blueprint for your life and he loves you enough to weave you into the framework of what he's building and oftentimes that is loud and oftentimes spark fly but there is no other place for a Christian to be outside of the living temple of God and that's what we're building in the Northwest. Watch what he says in verse nine. He says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Friend, we are the people who have become the priesthood, who have developed into a nation because we are God's possession for the express purpose of having a declaration of praise. It simply tells me this, you were chosen for this. You were created for this moment in history. You could have been born in any generation, in any part of the world, but somehow you ended up in the Northwest. God knew what the region needed, so he sent you. God knew what this community needed, so he equipped you. Before you were ever born, God had a plan for you to fulfill and a place for you to occupy. Let me warn you, Pursuit. If you believe your life is an accident, you will live a life without purpose. See, God saw fit in eternity past to preserve for himself a remnant people out of the Northwest. And now together we get to walk into the fullness of what God has always desired us to be. You are not what the internet says you are. You are not who the critics think you are. You are not what the culture has accused you of. You are a priest before God and friend. That is always who you will be. See, priests... They were marked people. 
They didn't live lives trying to blend in. No, they understood from birth that they were destined to stand out. Their obsession was living a life pleasing to God. And Peter tells these Gentiles, in the same way that the Hebrew children had a priesthood with special access to God, now all those who call upon the name of the Lord have become his temple, they have his spirit, and they have become his priests. Friends, we are not just a community group that happened to buy a building in Snohomish and now in Seattle. No, we are a holy nation, a nation that is growing, expanding, building, taking new territory, establishing institutions, and launching new campaigns. And some people, they want to be part of a church as long as it doesn't ask too much of them. But let me be very clear, here's what I am asking of you. Give your whole life to Jesus, hold nothing back. Make church a priority that you refuse to compromise on. Invest yourself into the life of somebody else and trust God that your best days are not behind you, but they are ahead of you. I love how Peter uses this word, possession. In the Greek, it translates to this phrase, complete ownership. Friend, let me remind you this morning, you've been bought with a price. No, you were costly for Christ to redeem. Your life meant his death. Your freedom meant his punishment. And today we stand on the other side of Christ's finished work and we celebrate that we have become his bondservants. That's why you owe your entire allegiance to Jesus. Because while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And why are you a people who have become a priesthood? Who have developed into a nation? Because we belong to him for the express purpose of having a declaration of praise. And watch what Jesus says. If the living stones won't cry out, even the rocks will worship me. Paul uses similar language when he writes the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians 2 and in verse 19, he says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but instead you are fellow citizens with God's people and you are members of his household. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The Bible describes Jesus as the cornerstone that the church is built upon. Jesus is our foundation. Once the cornerstone is set, it becomes the basis for determining every measurement in the remaining construction. Everything is aligned to it. All the stability depends on it. Without the cornerstone, the building has no hope of standing strong for the next generation. What does that mean for us today? As the cornerstone of the building of the church, Jesus is our standard of measure and alignment. Not culture, not politics, not peer pressure, not preferred pronouns, not perpetually offended pagans. No, Christ is the measure and alignment for the church today. And when the culture stone becomes the substitute for the cornerstone, watch out, the church is in trouble. You know what I love about this new building, Russ? 
You stand outside and you look at it, you look down to the right. And because it was constructed in the era in which they still used cornerstones, you can see that original foundation stone for our new building. It has a date when it was built. It has the name of the mason who laid the bricks. It has the name of the fraternity that he belonged to. There's literally a cornerstone that the building was framed off of. And I thought to myself, what a brilliant prophetic picture of what Paul speaks to in the book of Ephesians, that Jesus is our cornerstone and he is getting ready by his spirit to realign the church in the Northwest for another great move of his spirit. Friend, we are returning to the only foundation we have ever known, Jesus Christ and his finished work. No, Jesus is the foundation of the church. No, not the peer pressure from culture. Not the popularity contests of our online world. Not trying to outperform the folks down the street. No, Jesus is the measuring rod and we are living for one singular coherent statement. Well done, good and faithful servant. Friend, Jesus is the cornerstone. But Paul goes on to say, but the foundation is helped laid by apostles and prophets. It's important for you to understand something this morning. We still desperately need apostolic and prophetic voices in the church today. Why? Because prophets see God's future, but apostles establish God's present. You need a solid base and a compelling vision for what's next if you want the region transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Hey, many churches have been pastored to death. And by that I mean this. They have become little more than complaint-filled community groups with weak leaders who only exist to put out fires and make sure everyone stays happy enough to hopefully return the next week. Friend, I am simply not asking permission from dead churches to reach the region for Jesus Christ. We're gonna need apostolic voices to establish. We're gonna need prophetic voices to see and declare. And together with Christ as the cornerstone, we are going to see another great movement of strong churches in the Northwest. This is just the beginning. Listen, Seattle isn't our last step. Seattle is our next step. And we're going to trust that Jesus is building the house all the way along. I am struck by the interaction that Jesus has with stones in the book of John. When there's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery. They throw her at the feet of Jesus, the one place where we receive grace and mercy. The religious leaders pick up stones to kill her. And they say, according to the law of Moses, we should stone this woman for she's caught in adultery. And Jesus bends down into the dirt and the muck of life. And he begins to write with his finger on the ground and the Bible records that one by one, the religious leaders lay down their stones and walk away. And Jesus speaks to this woman and he says, where are your accusers? For neither do I accuse you, go and sin no more. And when I think about that story, I am struck by this statement. You can either use stones to throw or you can use stones to build, the choice is yours. See, offended people use stones to throw. 
but spiritual people use stones to build. Religious people use stones to throw, but spiritual people use stones to grow. See, I have learned the art of taking stones thrown at me and turning them into building blocks for me. So the next time someone is taking shots at your past, trying to lie about your future, causing you to get distracted by their drama, just tell them, be careful before you throw that stone because God might just turn that into a building block for my life. See, pain was a stone that the enemy tried to throw, but it's become a building block for the spiritual house of God. Abuse was a stone the enemy tried to throw at your life, but what the enemy meant for evil, God has intended for good. Loneliness and depression was a stone that the enemy tried to throw, but the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone of our faith, for God has taken the enemy's weapons and made it the righteous's foundation. That's the God that we serve. So we got some choices to make. I could use my stone to throw. I could get mad at you being mad at what I did for being mad at you being mad. I could get into an online war and I could live the rest of my life outraged that the world acts like the world. Or instead, we could recognize we are spiritual people. We are fighting a spiritual battle. We've got a spiritual house to build, and I'm not gonna waste one more moment returning friendly fire. We've got stones and a mandate to build in the Northwest because we are priests unto God, and he is building a nation through pursuit. Friend, that is who we are. That is the type of God that we serve, and that is the invitation we have in this hour. I am asking you to add your living stone to God's building. I am asking you to add your your time, talent, and treasure to the advancement of his kingdom. I am asking you to invest your life in an imperfect church led by imperfect people because we worship a perfect king whose name is Jesus. There has never been a greater invitation. There has never been a greater open door. And eye has not seen nor ear has heard what God has preserved for his people in these last days. And I declare over you exceedingly greater and above what you have ever asked, thought, or imagined. That's what God has in store for his spiritual house. Come on, would you stay standing? Let me pray for you this morning. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray for your ever-present help in our time of need. God, I pray for a realignment on the inside of who we are, that you would shift our perspective that you would cause us to see things like you see them. I declare over you today, pursuit, you will not grow weary in well-doing. You will not give up in the building of this house. You will not give up in the placement of your living stone. Will there be hardships? Absolutely. Will you have trouble? Most certainly. But be of good cheer for the Jesus we serve has overcome the world. And God, we pray today for your help in us and through us, that you would renew our minds, that you would strengthen our spirits, that you would solidify our resolve. And we declare in this moment, there is no king like Jesus. There is no power like Jesus. There is no authority like Jesus. There is no ruler like Jesus. And so we say all praise and glory and honor is due to your name and the 
church both now and forever and all God's people shouted amen.